Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 17 through 37, which is located in our church Bibles on page 897. Please stand, if you are able, as we read from the New Testament. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and sang to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Please be seated. Thank you, Teresa. Let's uh, pray together as we come to this text today. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, those mercies that are new every morning. Uh, we praise you for the grace that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, for the opportunity that we have to be here today to worship together and to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today through your word, by the power of your spirit, soften our hearts that we might hear and respond in the way that you would want. We praise you for this time in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on behalf of my family, I want to uh, take a moment just to say thank you to our greater family here at Stony Point Church for the opportunity that you gave us for a time of sabbatical. It was a really special time for our family of rest, and uh, so physically, emotionally, spiritually, it was a wonderful time for us, and we want to thank you for that. 
But uh, between our series on Galatians and our summer series on the Holy Spirit, I was asked to take a two-week mini-series to share maybe some of what the Lord did in my heart during that time. And as soon as I was asked, I knew right away the word was going to be lament. I know that's a weird word, but it is a, it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, and you're probably thinking, wow, what a thrilling sabbatical that must have been. And I'm really excited about these next two weeks. I get it, but hang tight with me. Uh, last year in 2022, I lost uh, three people that were really close to me. And for a variety of reasons, I uh, didn't take the time to grieve and including my own sin, didn't grieve the way that I should have, uh, which isn't healthy. So during that time of sabbatical, I really took some time to sit in some texts of scripture, particularly the Psalms and uh, the t this text that we're going to look at this morning. And I just wanted to take this week and next week to, to discuss that idea of lament. So this week we're going to look at John 11, and we're asking ourselves the question, why God, why? And next week we're going to be looking at two Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, and we're going to ask the question, where are you, God? And I think those are probably common questions for us as humans when we come to a time of suffering or pain or loss or grief. And maybe you as an individual are there right now in the middle of it. Maybe you have been there, or maybe you're uh, totally fine right now, and that time of grief or loss or lament is yet to come. But as REM reminded us in the early 90s, everybody hurts. So pain, loss, and suffering will come. But as they said in that song, is it enough that everybody hurts sometimes? In the end, is it really enough, that knowledge that everybody hurts, to make us hold on? I don't think so. So while our uh, portion of our text today was read, I, I do want you to go ahead and open up to that text. There's just a portion again in your bulletins, but open up to that whole text, John 11. It'll help you as we go through it today. If you're using one of the Bibles underneath the seats, it's on page 897. Um, but as we come to this text today and to this topic of suffering or lament, we're going to ask ourselves over and over this question. It's the question that Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And as we ask ourselves that question, we're going to roll through this text today under three headings. The first is love delayed. The second is love expressed. And the third is love fulfilled. Delayed expressed and fulfilled. So first in verses 1 to 15, love delayed. In the beginning of this chapter, you see this family with whom Jesus loved and was very close. It's three siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And Lazarus has become very ill, and it is an illness that is bringing him to the point of death, and it appears as though he will die. So the sisters send word outside of Bethany, to Jerusalem, which is only about two miles away, the text tells us, saying to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
So let your eyes scroll down through the text now and see how Jesus responds to this news. Verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Look at that wording. Because he loved them, when he heard that he was ill, he stayed. Now look down at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go on to him. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. Now this delay leads us to the conclusion in these words from Jesus that Jesus was not like, oh man, I'm a couple days late. Whoops. There's a purpose to his delay. There's a reason that he delayed, and that reason was behind what the disciples could comprehend at that moment. And was beyond what the, uh, Mary and Martha could comprehend in that time of grief. But he loved them so much, he stayed away. In a book of daily readings, Frederick Buchner said, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. And what we're seeing here in this text and what we see all throughout Scripture and from the teaching of Scripture is that beautiful things, a lot of the beautiful things that we see actually do flow from the terrible. After all, we're told that God is working all things together for good. So please note here that this love delayed is not that love was delayed but that because of love, Jesus delayed in coming immediately. So in our suffering, do we believe that maybe, just maybe, the delay of Jesus is actually on purpose? That it actually flows from a deep, deep love for us? Do you believe this? Secondly, love expressed, and we see this in verses 17 to 37. We're told that when Jesus comes to Bethany, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And many Jews have been uh, surrounding this family and comforting and mourning with them. And Martha gets wind that Jesus is finally headed toward Bethany. And she comes to him and she rushes out to him as he's on the outskirts of town to meet him. And we see that this love that was delayed is now expressed first with words. In 17 to 27, the first expression of love is with words. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A very real an honest expression. But she kind of catches herself and, and realizes that it sounds a little bit like a rebuke, so she follows it with, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now we know from this account and from many others that Martha was a hard worker. She was a very straightforward, no-nonsense woman. And she lets Jesus know what has been going on in her mind, and she expresses that with her words. And we often think that good Christians, whatever that 
phrase means, that good Christians never question God. But he is far more patient and understanding and wants to hear from us in that way more than we'd like to think, I believe. So what does Jesus do? He meets her right where she is, exactly what she needs. Jesus does not rebuke her for expressing herself. Instead, he expresses his love for her with words of truth in ways that she would have been able to hear and sense that love. He reminds her of who he is with one of the seven great I am statements that we see in the book of John. He says, I don't just have the power to bring life. I am the resurrection and the life. He gives her the truth that her heart needs to hear by reminding her that he is God. But the second expression of love we see is with tears, verses 28 to 37. So Martha rushes back to her house and she goes inside and she quietly grabs Mary and whispers in her ear, Jesus is outside of the town and he is asking for you. And when she gets up quickly, all of the mourners that were there with her followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb. And they follow her right to Jesus' feet where she lays herself down. And she cries out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same phrase that Martha had made. Now for sure, over the last handful of days, these sisters have been discussing and had talked, and had wondered, and had questioned over and over, why had Jesus not come? He is only two miles away. It would have been easy for him in this time to be able to walk to us, to at least comfort us after his death. Why would he have not been here? Why would he heal a, a blind person that he didn't even know, and he would refuse to come to us that he says he loves? Why isn't he here already? Why is he keeping himself at a distance? We can understand all of those questions. There's confusion between what they know and what they are currently experiencing in this moment of suffering. And we do the same things, don't we? Lord, if only I had gotten that job. Lord, if only I had married somebody different. Lord, if only we were able to have children. If. So here, Mary, instead of sitting at Jesus' feet and worshiping and listening to him teach like we saw a chapter earlier, she is laying at his feet and weeping. And what is Jesus' response? He enters right into her grief. We see in the text, Jesus wept. We have the same circumstance, the same statement to Jesus, but two very different women and two very different responses from Jesus. He honors their dignity and he engages with them on levels that are appropriate for their personalities and for their personal makeup. But why does Jesus weep, we might ask? Jesus knew that he was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
So why does he weep? He knows that in just a moment, all of this sorrow is going to be turned to rejoicing. He doesn't weep just to come alongside and make Mary feel better. It's a genuine weeping because he loves them. Why? Because true love weeps with those who weep. But Jesus isn't just weeping because of the death of Lazarus. More on this in a moment. But he, in a very real sense, he is weeping over what death does to all the ones that he loves and how it destroys and breaks those that are made in the image of God. So with Martha, his love is expressed with words that declare him as God. And with Mary, his love is expressed with weeping that declare him as human. Yes, our emotions must be stewarded. Do not get me wrong. But our emotions are a part of what it means to be an image bearer. Further, our emotions are protests because things are not the way that they are supposed to be on this side of the Garden of Eden. But what is our Western approach, right? We tend to stuff it down deep. Showing emotion is a sign of weakness. But that idea is way more American than it is Jesus. We may even say, why well, I have to be strong for my family. Or I have to be strong for my sports team that just lost two individuals. I got to buck up. Or maybe we even spiritualize it and say, I'm... I'm just praising the Lord and trusting him every day. May I say something bluntly? That is not spiritual. That is not godly. That is not what God wants. Quite often, the more spiritual people are the ones that feel more deeply. They feel that things are not the way that God intends. And quite often, it is the feelers that are there first in a moment of tragedy, in a moment of crisis, providing biblical community and care. So, crying like a baby is actually growing up. It's how we grow up. So weep. Jesus wept. We don't have a distant and aloof God. Rather, he is near to those who are broken in spirit. So with words and tears, we have a God that weeps with us, that feels with us, but he is a God that also has the power to do something about it, right? Now I'm curious, let me pause for just a moment. How many people do we have in here that are words people? Go ahead, raise your hand. You need to hear a word of truth in a moment of suffering or pain. Don't be ashamed. Don't do this. Raise your hand. You are a words person. Okay. Now, feelers, where are you? You need, you, okay, you need the compassion. You need the feeling. For those of you that may be confused, maybe if you have a spouse, your spouse has said to you these words, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen to me right now. I see some nodding and nudging. Here's the deal. Because of our temperaments, 
we usually are bent one direction or another. And that's how we deal with people usually in their pain and their suffering and in their grief. But not Jesus, because he is the perfect counselor. I think I read that somewhere. And he meets both of these women exactly where they need it, when they need it, with words of truth and with compassionate weeping. But that's not the only way he expresses his love. Thirdly, we see that he expresses it through anger. Look at verses 33 and 38. Now, you know, when we go through a time of suffering, particularly a suffering that has been brought on by somebody else, the only thing that really calms us down is when someone gets angry on our behalf. Have you ever experienced that? In those moments, you're like, yeah, they care for me. They're, they're saying they will go to the mat for me. They will fight for me. You don't feel alone in your suffering in those moments, and you feel loved by that individual. Look down at verse 33. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Then verse 38, then Jesus, we see that phrase again, deeply moved. Now, I do not like to knock on our English translations, but translators have wrestled and wrestled with this, and I think are coming up short. And a lot of commentators agree with me on this. They don't properly convey the idea of what we see in the Greek. The word means to quake with rage. Literally to snort like an angry bull. John Calvin said it is like the cry of a, a gladiator roaring as he goes into battle. Now imagine that scene. No, seriously, stop and imagine that scene at this graveside and Jesus has not just shared words, not just tears, but now we see him angry, snorting and huffing at the, this grave. He's not angry with Martha and Mary. He's not angry that they are expressing themselves. Actually, they're modeling the way the psalmists do how to grieve. And he's not angry at Lazarus for being dead. He is angry at evil and the evil one. He is angry at death that has been brought about by evil. He is angry that death and destruction breaks God's shalom, God's peace, the way that God meant things to be. You know, anger, whether it is a righteous anger or whether it is a sinful anger, is actually a sign of love. When what we love gets threatened, we respond in anger. You can see this, again, righteously or sinfully. And the intensity of that anger usually equals the intensity of the love. So here... We see Jesus roaring like a lion of Judah in an expression of righteous anger against evil that threatens and seeks to destroy the ones that he loves so dearly. So do you believe that in your suffering, in your pain, love not only delays, but is expressed with words and with tears and with anger? Maybe it is a, a sermon or a daily reading that you think, this was just for me. 
Or maybe it was the fact that you needed to hear that special song in the car and you turn on the radio and boom, it's playing. Do we believe that he meets us where we are and that he speaks to us when we need it? Sits and weeps with us when we need it and that he fights for us. Do we believe this? But I get it. I get it. Maybe right now you were in a season where love is being delayed, where there's a delay, right? In her song, Fool's Gold, Sandra McCracken says this If this is not okay, I know it is not the end. So we finally move to love fulfilled in verses 38 to 53. Now I hope you've been able to imagine this story as it is unfolded in front of us. And maybe in your mind you, you stand here amidst the crowd circling this tomb. And Jesus and Martha and Mary are right in front of us. And Jesus says to roll that stone away. And inside of the tomb, there's usually eight spots, three on the right and three on the left and two in the back. But before they roll that stone away, I love, again, Martha, being who she is, says, Lord, you know he's going to stink. And because we're whole beings, another sense would overcome that grief again, right? But what does Jesus say to her? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they rolled away the stone. Jesus prays and then yells, Lazarus, come out. And they see in the darkness of that tomb, a white linen covered figure start to move inside and begin to shuffle out. And Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of Lazarus. So Martha and Mary do that. In this moment, that love that has been delayed, that love that has been expressed with words and tears and anger is now fulfilled. And this family and in this community begin to rejoice at what has just happened before their eyes as love is fulfilled. But this is more than just a resurrection for Lazarus. It was a foreshadow of Christ's own resurrection and the resurrection to life for those who trust in Christ. But note with me, this is a transition in Jesus' ministry, particularly as we see it laid out here in the book of John. Verse 53 makes it very clear that from that day on, they made plans to kill Jesus. You see, while Jesus turns graves into gardens... And he turns our mourning into dancing and our grief into a wedding feast. That doesn't just happen. The only way for him to do those things, the only way for him to get Lazarus to rise from the dead and for us to be raised from the dead is for him to die. In performing this miracle that brought about life, he knew that it would only come by his own death. He knew that to stop our final and eternal funeral, he himself had to go to the cross. 
He knew that he himself would have to take and be taken into the jaws of death and suffer God's divine wrath, not for his sin, but for our sin. That sin that we deserved, all of that wrath poured out on him so that we could stand with no condemnation. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even though we suffer now, one day our suffering will be turned into rejoicing when love is finally and totally fulfilled? As Tolkien said, all the sad things will come untrue. Do we believe this? Do you believe this? If not... I have no other real hope to offer you in your suffering. I have nothing to give you of any lasting value but the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. He alone is our cornerstone, and all other ground is sinking sand. If you do not believe, would you at least consider his claims. But if you do believe, today I want to conclude with three encouragements, briefly. First, take off the grave clothes. Now, I don't want to take the imagery too far, but get the picture with me, if you will. You see, as Lazarus comes out, raised to life, he's stumbling over those grave clothes, the linens that are wrapped around him. And what does Jesus say? Take the grave clothes off of him. And Lazarus doesn't take them off of himself. He implores other people to come and take those grave clothes off, Martha and Mary. If you have been raised with Christ, you have been raised to walk in newness of life. The old is past. Christ did the resurrecting work and continues to do that resurrecting work by the power of his spirit in our lives, but he often uses others in that journey to help us take those grave clothes off so that we can have a life of running rather than shuffling in our grave clothes. Do you get the picture? Why do we keep going back to the old way expecting different results? So take off the old grave clothes. And don't try to do it alone. Do it in community. Second, live in and soak in Jesus' response to suffering that we see here. In love, sometimes Jesus delays. But in the perfect time and in the perfect way, love is expressed through words, tears, and anger. All looking forward to the day when love will be finally fulfilled. And only as we do this, only as we sit and soak in those truths about Jesus, are we able to grieve and grieve well, but grieve as those who have hope. And only as we soak in those three truths, we'll be able to finally love like Jesus. And you say, oh, well, that's just a cliche application. Of course, love like Jesus. No, no, no. Remember, all genuine love is a sacrifice. If we're going to love like Jesus, it is going to cost us our pride, 
It's going to cost us our time, our treasure, and our talents. So love sometimes speaks that truth that may be uncomfortable to say. It sits and cries with someone when you do not have the time or emotional capacity to do so. It is a love that righteously, in anger, fights for justice and stands up for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant, for the outcast, for those who have no voice. This all means that we have to die in small ways, and sometimes big ways. We have to die that others might live, as it were. We need to weaken ourselves so that they might become strong. Love delayed, love expressed, and love fulfilled. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have a God and Savior that is a wonderful counselor. That meets us exactly where we need it, when we need it, and even delays because we need it. Lord, no matter where we might be in our journey with you today, I pray that by the power of your spirit working through your word preached this morning, that we might come to the resurrection and the life, that we might trust in him and trust in him anew and afresh so that we can truly say, it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen.